The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Cricket Albertson. Welcome back. This is our last session together, and um, I've enjoyed the study of Mark so much. In fact, I was thinking about my original um, desire to study Mark that started way back in November and how Jesus has opened up the Word and how in my own life and heart these these stories of Jesus have helped me um, center, center my heart and my thoughts on Him and on who He is and instead of looking at all the crazy things that are happening in our world and in our families and in our own personal lives, all of a sudden to say, no, wait a minute, this is all about him. And we want to give him the glory and acknowledge him. So we are in chapter five of Mark and we're going to stay there for our last session. We started in there last time and now we're going to, we're going to finish in chapter five. But of course there, there are more, there are more miracle stories in Mark. There are four more miracle stories before chapter eight. So the way Mark is divided up uh, is basically you have in the first eight chapters of Mark, you have these miracle stories that are just kind of falling all over each other as Mark tries to explain who this Jesus is and tries to communicate the good news that all of a sudden the Savior of the world has come and this is what salvation looks like. He looks like Jesus. And who is this Jesus? So the beginning of Mark is all about expressing that. The second part of Mark, all of a sudden you have stories of conversations between the disciples and Jesus. All of a sudden you have, you realize the disciples aren't understanding who Jesus is. And really the second half of Mark is just one misunderstanding after another. And the miracle stories fade to the background and you have the conversations where the disciples try to wrestle through who he is. And really Mark sets up in a beautiful way the need for the incoming of the Holy Spirit. Remember in Mark 1 it says Jesus is the mighty one he's the worthy one he's the giver of the Holy Spirit and he's the beloved son and so what you find in Mark 1 through 8 is we see these pictures of him as the mighty one we see that he is the one who is worthy of our worship and then the rest of Mark kind of sets up we need to be filled with his Holy Spirit because it's when we're full of his Holy Spirit we can see Jesus for who he really is so the disciples kept trying kept stumbling kept trying kept trying but then after they were filled with the Holy Spirit all of a sudden all the pieces fell together and they understood who Jesus was they understood what the resurrection was they understood how the whole story fit together how the Old Testament and the New Testament fit together and that's the only way we're going to understand is when we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us with himself then all of a sudden Jesus will begin to put the, the pieces of the puzzle together. So if you find yourself like, I don't understand and it's not quite making sense, it may be that you need the Holy Spirit to enlighten your eyes so that you can see. And it may be like they asked in Acts, have you received the Holy Spirit? Because he is the one that begins to help us understand the words of Jesus and who Jesus is. And so Mark is kind of set up to prepare the way for the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts. And one of um, my grandfather's books, The Mind of Christ, sets this up very, very beautifully and helps us understand Mark as a whole and then the gospel message in terms of that, what Jesus wants to do. So that might be a good one, um, even if you wanted to do for your next Bible study, you could do that. But what I want to encourage you to do as far as Mark goes is to keep reading. Keep, keep looking at these stories. Look at the next four miracle stories and then say, what do they say about Jesus? 
And what about his plan for us and his invitation to us? And what does salvation really mean? And these are the kind of questions that we want to ask. So at the end of your study, you could look back and say, wait a minute. I see, I see the, um, the witness, John the Baptist's witness in Mark 1, and then I see all the way through, so I get a full picture of all that Jesus wants to do. So that is, that is my challenge, that is my hope, that, that you'll keep on studying for yourself. And what we find, but what we find as we finish Mark 5, is that Jesus is continuing this understanding of uncleanness. So we had the demon-possessed man, and he, he was unclean in every possible way. But then we have two more examples of uncleanness that actually happen within the Jewish community. So here's what happens. The man is the man is set free from the demons, and then they say, please don't stay here with us anymore. And so Jesus gets back in the boat. They go back across the Sea of Galilee and are once again in the, the nation of Israel. And so they're once again among the Jewish people. And right away, all of a sudden, a multitude um, surrounds them. So we're going to read the rest of the chapter, starting in verse 21. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years, and had suffered many things from many physicians. And she had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body she was healed of her affliction. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched me? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitudes thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. And while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid. Only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came in, he said to them, Why are you making this commotion and weeping? This child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl rose and walked, for she was twelve years old. And they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. Jesus, we love the stories of you. We love what you come to do. And I love you, Jesus, because you are Lord over disappointment. You are Lord over shame. You are Lord over death. And so, Jesus, we just hold our lives up before you, the places where there's shame, the places where there's disappointment, the places where there's death. And we invite your Holy Spirit into those places. And we ask Jesus, open your word to our hearts. Help us understand what this means. 
and we love you and we give you all the praise in Jesus name amen I love this story so in in chapter 5 we have three stories of uncleanness we have three stories where someone falls at the feet of Jesus this is very interesting the man possessed falls at the feet of Jesus and the word is prostrates himself when Jairus comes to Jesus he falls at the feet of Jesus and when the woman um, comes to Jesus and acknowledges that she's the one who touched him she falls at the feet of Jesus here's the funny thing in the Greek there are three different words so the first one is proskuneo to prostrate oneself that's the demon possessed man the second one is this pipto pipto it's repeated twice and basically it's this fall it, the word is for falling he's falling at the feet of Jesus and it's repeated twice for emphasis this is a man urgently, urgently coming to Jesus with his request. And there's a desperation, even in the language that's used. When the woman acknowledges who she is and comes to Jesus, the word is, the word that is used means falling toward. Don't you love that? That is the, the Greek word, falling to, toward. And there's, it can be understood as a falling gently. And I love that. When she in all her vulnerability comes to Jesus she falls towards him but all of those are indications of what Jesus is wanting to do in our lives and what our response is to be whether whether um, whether there we come in desperation whether we come in shame when we come we acknowledge him for who he is we fall at his feet and you know sometimes I don't think we do that so well as Americans we think why would we kneel why would we pray kneeling or why would we why would our posture indicate um, submission but I do think there is something of value when we actually bend the knee and when just like when our husbands proposed and got down on one knee and there was a humility about it there's a humility about our hearts when we say to him, Jesus, our need is greater than we can meet and we're coming to the one who can meet it, the one who's worthy, like Mark 1 says, and we fall on our knees. This is the story of Mark 5. There's a, there's a recognition of our humility and our need for Jesus. And I think whether we kneel physically or not, that has to be the state of our hearts, that there we come with a willingness to acknowledge him as Lord and I love I love Jairus because first of all he's named he's a very wealthy or influential man in this Jewish community and so we have this picture that there's a multitude of people he's surrounded Jesus is surrounded by people and all of a sudden you have this um, very influential man very prestigious man pushing his way through the crowds and falling at the feet of Jesus w willing to make a scene you get a sense of his desperation get me to Jesus as fast as I can and then what is his request his request is for his little daughter and that's how he describes her my little daughter lies at the point of death and what does he ask Jesus to do but come lay your hands on her and she will be healed and she will live I love that there's the sense what my daughter needs is a touch from Jesus and all that all that she needs is a touch from Jesus and if Jesus touches my daughter she will not only be healed she will live and there will be this sense of restoration and wholeness. Jairus's faith was absolute. His confidence in Jesus was enough that he barreled his way through this crowd. Didn't matter what anyone thought of him and said, I have to get my need to Jesus. And then right, and then of course Jesus just says, yes, I'll come with you. And then right in the middle of this, you have this comparison with this woman. 
So Jairus has a distress of losing a beloved daughter, um, or at the point of losing a beloved daughter, and now you have the, a woman who has the shame of a disease that doesn't go away, a shame of a disease that alienates her from worship, from society, from family. All of a sudden she is shut out, and she's unnamed. There's no, no possibility that she could barrel her way and demand Jesus' attention. There's, she has no confidence, but listen to what Scripture says about her. She had spent all that she had on the doctors, but when she heard about Jesus, now that is used three times in the Gospels here. It's also used for the centurion. Remember the centurion whose servant was sick, and he, it was a beloved servant, and he heard about Jesus. And so he, he, he said, would you come and he, would you heal my servant? And Jesus said, yes, I'll come to your house. Remember, he said, no, no, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. And remember, it was that centurion that Jesus said, great is your faith. This is the same. He had heard about Jesus and he acted on it. He heard about Jesus and he said, he's the one that we need to heal my servant. And the other one is Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is maybe one of my favorite characters in all of scripture because Jesus is walking by, and Bartimaeus hears that it's Jesus, and then all of a sudden he stands up and starts shouting, 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 Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And remember, everyone's like, shh, shh, you're embarrassing us, you're embarrassing yourself, hush, hush, hush. And then remember those blessed words, stop shouting, he's calling for you. And then Bartimaeus, I want to see, I want to see, I want to see. These, these are the stories of when people hear about Jesus and then act on it. And that is what this lady did. She didn't have confidence. She had confidence in Jesus. She had no confidence in her own right to approach Jesus. But she took the multitude as a, um, a, a cover for her. So she could sneak up behind Jesus. And under the cover of the multitude, she could just reach out and touch him. But isn't it interesting that you have a woman sick for 12 years and a daughter who's 12 years old. That you have Jairus asking for Jesus to come and touch his daughter. And the woman sneaking up behind to touch Jesus. You have these same themes that are drawn through here. And so she sneaks up behind and says, Oh, if only I may touch his, gar his garment. Now what I love is the woman has a little inner conversation with herself. If only I can touch his garment, I'll be made well. I just know it. And Jesus has a little bit of an inner conversation with himself too. Um, it says, um, immediately, and when she reaches out and touches him, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in his body that power had gone out of him, turned around and said, who touched me? She has something going on in her inner heart. If I only I could get him. And he has something going on in his heart. So, oh, something's just happened. And someone has just been healed. And I want to know who it is. Now what I love about Jesus is that he did not let her slip away in obscurity. He did not let her say, it's okay, she's been healed, it's enough. Because it wasn't about power. It wasn't even about physical healing for Jesus. It was that this woman be brought out of shame and into honor. Out of obscurity and into recognition. Out of, out of brokenness and into wholeness. And so Jesus, I love, I love what he says. He turns around and he looks and he says, I am, um, who touched me? And the disciples laugh at him and are like, a thousand people are touching you. A thousand people are touching you. And he said, no, no. And he waits. He looks around to see who had done this thing. You get the sense that there's a pause, kind of a long, uncomfortable pause as he waits. 
But then the women, the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, comes and falls towards Jesus and tells him the whole truth. Now, what I love is that you can imagine, this is the, probably the most vulnerable a woman could be. There's a multitude. There's Jesus. She's acted in faith. He's worked for her. But now she has to go on record and declare her own need and then declare how Jesus met it. And Jesus actually demands that she do it in the most loving way because he's trying to get her to the next stage of wholeness. And so Jesus, she comes to him, she falls at his feet, she tells him the whole truth. And here's what I love, as he says to her, daughter. And so this unnamed woman all of a sudden is named daughter, daughter of the king. And you have two stories in Mark 5 about two different daughters, both beloved. And I think that's the message. The one beloved by Jairus, a daddy who's willing to fight for his daughter, who's willing to come humiliate himself for his daughter, do whatever it takes to save his daughter. And then you have Jesus saying, and that's the kind of father I'm going to be for you, one who fights for you, one who loves you, one who protects you, one to whom you belong, one who heals you. And so all of a sudden he invites her and welcomes her into, the, into his own family. Daughter, your faith has made you well. And he doesn't scold her for not being braver. He just says, it's your confidence. You heard, a, you heard a rumor about who I was and what I could do. You acted on it. You stepped out. And sometimes that's what Jesus says. There are a lot, we hear a lot about Jesus. There are a lot of people pressing on him, a lot of people surrounding Jesus. And in our culture too, a lot of talk about Jesus. But who are the ones who are willing to say, wait a minute, I think Jesus can do something for me. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to reach out and touch him, to make contact with him so that my life can be made whole. That's what salvation is, to be made whole. In fact, I love in, in, um, in Mark 5, the word for healing is different than in all the rest of the scripture, in all the rest of the book. There are two words for being made whole. Um, one is uh, one is therapeuo, which is basically just um, to be made well, to be made whole. And then there's another one that basically is that same word, um, to be healed. But the word that is used for this woman is the word sozo, the word for salvation. That you not only have been made well, you've not only been healed, you have been saved. You have been made whole. And when Jesus comes and heals the broken places in our lives, that's what he does. He saves us for himself. He saves us to be part of his family. And so he says, You're, go in peace and be healed. You're, you're made whole. Go in shalom. Go in quietness and rest. No more spending all your money. No more trying, trying, trying to fix it. There can be rest. And be healed, be whole of your plague. The word for affliction there is the word for the Roman whip. And I felt like that was the very best description of that ailment for that lady. Just It just kept coming back, kept coming back, kept coming back, kept coming back. Till she was broken and distressed and discouraged. And that there was no other option but Jesus. And Jesus says, you can be healed of that. And there are sometimes things that come in our life and they just come back and they come back and they come back and they come back. And Jesus says, I want to set you free. I want to make you whole. I want to save you from that. And, and we were talking about the Bloomheart story and Jesus is the victor. And that's what he says. He wants to breathe life into every part of our lives. So 
so that he brings shines his light and his love into our hearts he gives us the mind of Christ so we're not bound by fear we're not bound by stress we're not running from one thing to another there's a confidence a quietness a rest because of the wholeness that he's brought in our lives and that's what and that's the last we hear of her and then there's another interruption and this daughter slips away and you know what she's doing she's going to do exactly what the demon possessed man did when he was set free she's going to find her family and friends she's going to go into the temple and say I can worship again I can be with my family. I can be with my children. I'm going to resume a normal life. That's what Jesus wanted her to do. That was the blessing on her. But then there's another story, another daughter who's in need. And while, while Jesus has been working with this woman and taking the time to bestow honor on her and to welcome her into his own family, um, the little girl has died. And so the Jairus' servants come and they say, don't bother him anymore. She's, she's died. And I love what, how Jesus responds. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. As I was reading um, this, this book, Jesus is the Victor, this is what one of the passages that caught my heart. For it is in the most horrendous events that the victory of Christ is revealed. Again, we must believe like children. We must not try to achieve something through a complicated pietism or an intricate spirituality Look only on what Jesus is doing. Don't even consider what may happen the next day. Don't try to be clever. Don't overanalyze or try to make everything smooth. Only when we are weak can we be made strong. We have a task to perform despite our weakness. God's children must accomplish something. Whether a mountain moves or not depends upon us. If we stand idly before the mountain, it will not move. When we see obstacles before us, when we stand before the mountain of evil, we who are followers of Jesus must say, this mountain must go. We will not allow it to remain, and it will go. Still, we must not strive to remove the evils of this world in human strength. Our task is to believe that God will clear away all that hinders righteousness. Faith means doing something about the mountains, but this something is trusting God to remove them. Faith has little to do with indulging in religious feelings of being saved or in the advocacy of some idealistic view of the world. It comes in trusting Jesus. And as I was reading, it was talking about joining in God's fight, and I thought it was going to say pray and do. And what it did, what uh, Bloomhart said in his book was, believe trust that Jesus has the answer for each new obstacle that comes so when this man came and said my daughter is dead Jesus said don't be afraid only believe turn our eyes to Jesus don't try to figure it out turn our eyes to him and then say okay Jesus what do you want to do in this situation and Jesus says I want to go with you I still want to go to your house and so Jairus takes him to his home and when he gets there there's a tumult there's a craziness and people are there's mourning people are wailing and crying because the daughter has died and of course he's a prestigious man so of course the mourning is on a is on a very large and I'm sure loud level and then Jesus comes in and instantly what Jesus says to the all the mourners is why are you making this commotion and weeping the daughter the child is not dead but sleeping what I love about this is in one one line Jesus redefines what death is all about. 
And even though sleep is a common understanding for death or a common metaphor for death, I think Jesus is saying something much, much more. What he's saying is, when I'm here, death is simply asleep. And I read, a, I read a commentary from the early church, and one of the, the writers from the early church said she was just waiting to hear his voice, waiting for him to waken her to new life. And that's what Jesus comes to do. Jesus has the power of victory over death. And he will call our names, and we will rise and be with him. And that is the hope of everyone who believes on the name of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to do it here and now, and I'm going to redefine that, what death means. It is not the final word. I am the final word. Now, I love this because what you have is you have the crowd mocking him, and you have Jairus and his wife and three disciples follow Jesus into the inner chambers of that house. And I think, again, we find that when Jesus redefines our lives when we invite him in when we say that we have a problem we cannot solve we don't know what to do Jesus would you come with us and we invite Jesus in all of a sudden he's going to redefine it for us and he's going to impose himself right at the center of it <laughs> he's not going to stay on the fringes he's going to take control and he's going to be at the center and we have the option to allow him that freedom or to send him away just like they did um, with a demon-possessed man and what, when we open up our homes and our hearts and our lives and our minds to Jesus and say, I don't exactly understand what you mean or you're doing, but I want to invite you into the inner recesses of my heart, then that's, that's when we begin to see what he, gets, what he wants to do. I love thinking about Jairus' wife because I'm sure in all of this there was some confusion. And she just went and she did. She had all the mourners there. And then Jairus comes in and says, he's come, he's come. And she says, but she's already died. He said, it's okay, Jesus still wants to see her. And both of them go in together. And then uh, what does Jesus do? He takes that little girl by the hand, just like the father asked. He said, will you touch my little girl? Will you lay your hand on her? And Jesus reaches down and, and touches the hand of that little girl. And he says to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Little girl, tenderness. But here's what I love. I say. And I think now those two words are the most important words in the story. I say. The I am is here and he's speaking and he's speaking life into your body and he's speaking his lordship over death in every way. I say arise. And that word arise is the same word that is used for Jesus' resurrection. It's used twice in Mark for Jesus when he rises from the dead. This is resurrection life happening in an upper chamber in this Jairus' house. Resurrection life pours in. And I love that immediately the little girl arose and walked around. And they were overcome with amazement. And the word for amazement is they were, they were dumbfounded. And then they were ecstatic. And they, they, they couldn't even believe it. Um, their response to her resurrection was as, as glorious as the disciples when Jesus was raised from the dead. This Jesus has the power over death itself. And that's what Jesus, then Jesus said, um, nobody needs to know. Jesus is biding his time because this message is going to be declared to all the world in just a short amount of time. And he kind of gives Jairus and these three disciples a window on what his heart is all about. That he's the Lord of, Lord over, the Lord of life and the Lord who conquers death in every way. And that's the message of salvation. 
And what I love is that he commands her to give, give, give her something to eat. There's a tenderness, there's a care, and then that is the sign of his own sign, right? When he comes to the upper room after the resurrection and they don't believe, and he says, give me something to eat. And then he eats it and that is proof of the resurrection. And so this little girl becomes a, a symbol. She becomes the, the forerunner of Jesus' resurrection, this 12-year-old girl, this 12-year-old daughter. So we have two, two stories of daughters, one adopted in, one brought to new life. And Jesus says, I am Lord over all. And I want, um, I want to welcome all into my family. And I was thinking about how to close, and I thought, I'm going to close with Galatians 4, because I think what Jesus wants to do is he wants to invite us to be daughters of the King. He wants us to invite us to be ones who see Jesus for who he really is and allow his full and complete lordship in every area of our life. And when we do that, then the inheritance of Jesus himself becomes our inheritance. And I love, I love Galatians 4. It says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are daughters, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. I love this. You're adopted into the family of God. And so God says, and now here comes my Holy Spirit. I want to fill you with the spirit of my son, crying, Abba, Father. So the access, we have immediate access to the Father through the indwelling, through Holy Spirit, through the love and fellowship of the Son. And we are caught up in this triune conversation that's more intimate, more beautiful than our hearts could ever imagine. And it becomes for us a foretaste of heaven. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son or a daughter. And if a son or a daughter, then an heir of God through Christ Jesus. We are daughters who are loved by our Father. We are daughters who are cared for by our Father. We are daughters who are protected by our Father. We are daughters who have access to our Father. We are daughters who have intimate conversations with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are daughters who will not doubt the good intention of their Heavenly Father towards us. If you want to learn more about Titus Women, visit us online at tituswomen.org.